The Start On Demand. On demand. The CFL is asking the federal government for up to $150 million in financial aid. We'll speak to the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers about this, Bob Irving. Speaking of the Bombers, they have unveiled their first real-life superhero as nominated by you. We will meet this fascinating and wonderful individual. We'll tell you about a local business that has switched gears to make hand sanitizer and is donating the proceeds they get from it. We'll speak to another business that is excited to reopen on Tuesday after they've been spending the last few weeks calling on the government to provide more aid for small businesses. We'll tell you how online comedy writing lessons and improv lessons from Second City can help you improve your business. And we want to know, what's your favorite sitcom of all time? I'm Brett McGarry. Alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, we are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Friday, May 1st podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, there are certain song lyrics that immediately uh, you just want to keep going. Some of them, for example, anytime we hear a reporter say police are on the scene, immediately all three of us tend to think Ice Ice Baby by Vanilla Ice. Police are on the scene, you know what I mean? Well, you could also say, Greg, West Philadelphia, born and raised, and immediately go into the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. You betcha on a playground is where I spent most of my days. Uh, things got emotional during a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air cast reunion earlier this week. And I don't know about you guys, but this was one of my favorite shows of all time. The group got back together for an appearance on Will Smith's new Snapchat, uh, Snapchat show, Will From Home, where they paid tribute to the late James Avery, if you watch the show, I don't have to tell you, he played Uncle Phil. Avery died in 2013. I can't believe it's that long ago. He was 68. He uh, had complications following open heart surgery. Smith played a series of clips from Avery's time on the show. And one particularly emotional bit saw Will ask Uncle Phil why his father didn't want to be a part of his life. I need him then and I don't need him now. Will. Now, you know what, Uncle Phil? I'm going to get through college without him. I'm going to get a great job without him. I'm going to marry me a beautiful honey, and I'm having me a whole bunch of kids. I'm going to be a better father than he ever was. And I sure as hell don't need him for that, because ain't a damn thing he could ever teach me about how to love my kids. How come he don't want me, man? Sure, that's a sitcom, Mackling? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's one of the best sitcoms of all time, and that scene actually elevated Will Smith's uh, prevalence and and his uh, the way he was perceived. And at the very end, you could hear that little, <gasps> that was Karen Parsons who played Hillary on the show. They did that in one take. They knew they'd only have one shot at it. They didn't edit that out because it was just it, it was going to be one and done, or it wasn't going to happen. So, uh, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air might not be my favorite sitcom of all time, but that is one of my favorite scenes in sitcom history. Yeah, thanks for sending that this morning. I had completely forgotten about that scene, and I do remember watching that, going, "Holy smokes, he can actually like really act. He's got some dramatic skills mm-hmm. under his belt too." And that really was. Uh, such a great scene. So let's go around the horn here and find out what everybody else likes. Jeff Braun, want to start with you, co-host of the Couch Potatoes? Yeah, well, for me, it's uh, it's always been, it's always the same. It's Seinfeld, of course. Anyway, I hope there's no hard feelings. <laughs> hard feelings? What do you know about hard feelings? <laughs> Ever a man die in your arms? Ever kill somebody? What is your problem? What's my problem? Punks like you, that's my problem. You better not screw up again, Seinfeld, because if you do, I'll be all over you like a pit bull on a poodle. That is one tough monkey. (laughs) Bookman, the overzealous library cop, uh, busting Jerry on that overdue book. Yeah, it's a Seinfeld just... It's uh, my go-to all the time. Uh, there's, I've never laughed so hard as when I watch Seinfeld. And it still works to this day. The, and it's just four amazing characters. Like 
any show in the world would be happy to have either Jerry, Elaine, George, or Kramer on their show. But to have all those four together is just magic. Well, why don't we move from Seinfeld to another landmark sitcom? Uh, Kelly Moore, what was your choice? Well, you know, I can't count The Office because I've only become a big fan of that series uh, because of the extra time I've had to watch uh, TV other than sports uh, during the pandemic. But when it comes to uh, a series that uh, I can binge watch with the best of them, it has to be this one here. Sheldon. <laughs> That's a scene where Sheldon is communicating with Penny via his laptop. But uh, I thought those two uh, really carried the mail for uh, a series that uh, certainly involved a lot of other stars. Uh, uh, but uh, those two in particular uh, on The Big Bang Theory, my fave. Hey, by the way, Kelly, did you fire that clip on your end? I did, yes, sorry. Okay, okay. Yeah, we were wondering, because <laughs> we've been having so many weird mystery technical issues, I thought that that echo was coming from my computer because we fired it at basically the same time. It actually created kind of a neat effect. Uh, Big oh, Bang, cool. Big Bang Theory, by the way, uh, we always like to remind people of this. Jeff Braun, what was our prediction about the Big Bang Theory when it first came out? We said it would be cancelled by Christmas. <laughs> Boy, were we wrong. (laughs) Sometimes the couch potatoes are dead wrong. Loren McNabb, uh, Kelly Moore referenced it, but why don't you uh, set it up here? What's your favorite? It's funny that he did because I hate the Big Bang Theory. So part of me is like, oh, come on, Kelly. But he already (laughs) redeemed himself before he even got there by mentioning uh, this is the show I can watch over and over again. and 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 I just love it. You know what they say. Fool me once, strike one. But fool me twice. Strike. Oh, it cut off. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, strike. Fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Strike three. Oh, I have used that so many times. I just love it. I just, I that show is comforting. It's an offside. I know that now. But uh, yes, I can watch it over and over and over again. Brett, we're getting a lot Great of text messages. Getting a lot of text messages uh, for Mash, Seinfeld, Cheers, Golden Girls, and, and recently Brooklyn Nine Nine, Married with Children. Uh, Jeff Forte, what about you, buddy? Oh, I had to go with Friends. Okay, buddy boy, here it is. You hide my clothes, I'm wearing everything you own. Oh my God! That is so not the opposite of taking somebody's underwear. Look at me, I'm Chandler. Could I be wearing any more clothes? <laughs> <laughs> I love Friends. It's, it's so easy to watch. It's good laugh. It's it's great. Yeah, I love that show too. So keep those texts coming at 204-780-6868. I'm just seeing what else we have here. We yeah, uh, Adam seconds your notion uh, for Friends. Mike says Newhart was uh, he mm-hmm. like Newhart, oh, yeah. and then uh, Mike also adds Cheers as well, and that's the box set. Jeff yeah. Braun bought the box set for Cheers recently. So that's going to trigger our conversation on Instagram live at noon. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We've been experiencing some technical difficulties with Greg and Loren both working at home. Their connections have been a little wonky. I believe that's the technical term uh, that you would find in, in such a dictionary. Let's just do a quick test. Greg. Greg Mackling reporting for duty from North Kildonan, sir. Loren McNabb. Hello, 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 hello. <laughs> Okay. I'm just kidding. I think it's I think it's fixed. Okay. It sounds like it, like it's good. It sounds like the delay isn't as bad. So let's carry on and hope for the best. There has been a genuine effort to support local business over the past several weeks of Manitoba's pause. The effort to shift focus and retool operations in order to make PPE or to become a grocery store versus a pub or to change your priority from feeding customers to feeding the less fortunate or to feed frontline workers. The stories are beyond inspirational, Loren, in this difficult time. And of course, over the past week or so, we've seen different concerns raised. Every day there's something different. And, and this week, 
brought conversations around possible meat shortages and that being the latest threat to normalcy during these COVID-19 times. Workers at meat processing plants across North America have been afflicted with the virus, and it's, of course, forced the closure of several plants that process beef and poultry and pork. Several weeks ago, we introduced you to a local Manitoba farmer who produces his own pork products with animals he raises himself. He also produces fresh farm eggs, which he delivers to the doors of his customers right here in southern Manitoba. We wanted to reconnect with Ian Smith again this morning, and he has obliged. Good morning, Ian. Good morning. How are you today? We're doing wonderfully. Thanks so much for uh, doing this. Now, there are some of our listeners who get up earlier than we do, and I, I think you're one of them. Remind yeah. us when your day starts and uh, and the routine that you have uh, before talking to us here at 6.38 in the morning. Well, I get up at uh, about 10 to 4 outside at 4 o'clock and uh, start my chores and everything. And uh, usually back in just about 10 after 5, have my breakfast and in for about an hour or so after doing dishes and all that stuff. And and then by uh, 10 after 6 or quarter after 6, back outside to do about another hour and a half's worth of chores to do. Why 10 to 4 and not just 4? Uh, <laughs> it's always better to get up before the hour. <laughs> I like that wisdom. I like that wisdom. So yesterday was your delivery day. Have you grown your customer base over the past several weeks? Oh, big time. More so in the last five days with the uh, rumors and talk about the uh, plant shutdowns and whatnot. Uh, I'm getting more customers coming in, and I've had customers that haven't ordered from me for eight years have now started coming back again uh, surprising they haven't forgot about me but uh, no business has really picked up in the last four or five days and uh, I don't know you might think I'm crazy but uh, in the last two days I started emailing uh, all 57 MLAs in the province here and uh, told them to uh, support the farmer and shop local because they've been talking about uh, uh, supporting the farmers and buying local well Put your money where your mouth is and uh, support the farmer and buy from them. That's what I say well, to the MLAs. And I did have also- one MLA that did respond, and he's buying a side of pork from me. Oh, well, that's good. It, 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 the message is getting out there, Ian. I, and the support local thing, I think, is really hitting home to so many people during these times. Uh, we are talking about potato farmers earlier this week who have no place to send their potatoes because restaurants aren't operating in, as normal. And you mentioned the, the concerns over beef sor- shortages and your growing customer base. Can you tell us just how many more customers you might have now than you would have, say, this time last year? Do you have any specific numbers? Uh, no, you know, I've got so many repeat <laughs> customers and that uh, uh, you know it's really picked up as I say in the last week and uh, uh, it's because of what's going on and maybe in the last uh, four weeks but more so in the uh, last week it's really really picked up so uh, no uh, unfortunately for uh, lots of farmers and everybody in this world uh, it's uh, hard times but for me uh, I'm not doing too bad right now on my little quarter section farm here. Ian, we, we've heard so many people uh, sing the praises of our frontline workers, our new appreciation for those that work in grocery stores and truck drivers and teachers. We have this sort of refocusing, This re, there, there is a little bit of a re-energizing going on here and appreciation for, for different uh, people and the work that they do. Do you think there's going to be a greater appreciation for local farmers and, and people like you who who feed us every single day, even though we don't get to shake your hand and, and thank you on a regular basis? Well, I hope so. Um, I hope uh, people get that primitiveitis out of them and maybe get outside when this is all over and get outside the perimeter and uh, respect uh, the rural area and understand what's going on outside the perimeter and the farmers and, and uh, you know, we're feeding you guys and uh, we're not doing it to, we're doing it for pride and uh, farming is a different business to so many others it's in our blood and and i guess that's the bottom line
And it has to be difficult work too. Like for example, anybody who's had a pet knows that it can be difficult to take care of a pet. Well, I'm looking at this picture that you sent us of a sow with her 17 little pigs and it's your responsibility to keep all of those animals alive. Oh yeah, big time. I mean, uh, uh, I was feeding them milk replacer and everything and uh, uh, I mean, yeah, I, this is uh, this is uh, taking care of a big family, you know. And, but there's bigger farmers than me out there that's doing the same thing too. But I'm just doing it old old school way, though. Eh? So uh, my little farm here is more labor intensive and whatnot. So, and uh, you know, it's the pig business right now that's uh, working for me good, and uh, the direct uh, marketing and. Uh, selling to the public and meeting the customer and the customer phoning me and talking to me and and lots of the older people and that or even the younger people reminiscing about how they used to be on the farm or having somebody else from the family on the farm and and that you know that all helps with communication and communication with the customer is so important nowadays well, if we, before we let you go, Ian, where can we go if we want to figure out we want to buy something from you, whether it be, uh, I don't know if it's ribs or pork, side of pork, or what you've got to offer, uh, but side, tell us how we can find out. Side of pork is the minimum uh, that I sell. So go on my website, www.naturalpork.ca. You'll see how uh, I raise my pigs and the farm and everything, and you'll see that I'm raising now shorthorn uh, registered breeding stock here to cattle. All right, Ian Smith joining us live on 680 CJOB. Again, the website, naturalpork.ca. Ian, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Anytime. Thanks a lot. Take care. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Disinfectant. Masks. Gloves and hand sanitizer, they're all on the list of things businesses need to consider if they want to reopen on Monday. Yeah, but securing enough PPE, we know, has been a struggle on the front lines for weeks. And now with that reopening starting May 4th, Monday, many retail businesses are trying to figure out how to find what they need in order to keep customers and their staff safe. Which leads us to our next guest, whose company actually started temporarily making hand sanitizer several weeks ago, but they're not selling it for profit. And we're going to have more on that in a moment. But first, let's introduce you to Rick Duha, the director and owner of the Duha Group. Good morning, Rick. Good morning. Just for those who aren't familiar, we know you're a well-established Winnipeg business. I think it's four generations family-run organization. Yeah, but, yeah. but for those who yeah, don't know, yeah, go we, ahead, Rick, tell us yeah, about what you do. The, we've been around since the 1940s. We're in the business of color. We forecast color trends, and, and we help companies to design the color palettes for their products, along with producing color sampling tools like paint swatches, Sandex, and color brochures. So, Rick, uh, great to uh, meet your acquaintance again. Uh, why did you make this uh, switch to hand sanitizer? It sounds like uh, an incredibly generous thing to do. What was the inspiration and how difficult or easy was it for you to do that? Yeah, you know, we, we started off down this road. We were super fortunate that the manufacturing businesses were on the essential services list in Manitoba. So we've been able to stay open throughout the last couple of months. And and we were, you know, very lucky and, and feeling very fortunate. And we wanted to find a way to take advantage of that and give back to the community uh, because we were able to stay open and stay operational. So we also had the same problem that everyone else has of keeping our, our staff and, and uh, our employees and, and safe during this time while they're while they're working. And so we, we were looking for hand sanitizer for ourselves and realized that it was very hard to come by, obviously, and rightly so. The, the Much of the world's supply has been dedicated to the medical industry. And, and so that leaves businesses like ours a, a little bit uh, high and dry. So we started looking for it, and we couldn't find it. So we started looking into whether or not we could make it ourselves. And it turns out that our our infrastructure for dispensing paint was very similar to what was required for the bottling and distribution of ethanol hand sanitizer. So we've been able to uh, – we ended up partnering with some distilleries that are, are producing it locally and and uh, uh, sort of across Canada and we've been bottling and, and distributing that within Manitoba for the last I guess week and a half. Now we know there was a demand for sanitizer for people working in healthcare and grocery stores and truckers as well who will continue to bring us our food and our supplies. What have you been hearing from businesses over the last 24 hours because we know so many of them are just scrambling now to get enough sanitizer for reopening? Yeah, no question. I mean, certainly a lot of uncertainty and stress to get their get their doors open. But 
overall, I think people are really excited to get back to a little bit of normalcy and get back up and running. Uh, you know, our immediate network has been been really great in the last sort of two weeks for, for coming and purchasing hand sanitizer. But now we're seeing inquiries from salons and physiotherapy clinics and chiropractors and, and retail businesses that are just looking to make sure that they're staying safe as they're as they're opening up. My first response when I heard all this, Rick, was, oh, wow, that's, a, that's just a great business idea, particularly when you can't do business as usual right now. But you're not making any min- money from this. Tell us about what you're doing with the proceeds of, of the hand sanitizer. Yeah. So as I mentioned, you know, we're, we're fortunate to be open and operational. And, and so we wanted to be able to give back to the community through this, through this initiative. So we partnered up with the HSC Foundation COVID-19 Response Fund. And so all the profits from all the hand sanitizer we're selling are, are going to their efforts where they're doing some great things for, for the current current challenges we're having. Like they've got, they're buying iPads for the ICU patients who can't see their families in the hospital. They've got a, an awesome initiative called Feeding the Front Lines where they're either making sure that all the, all the great frontline workers have, uh, have food when, while they're working. So we're really happy to be able to help out uh, HSC Foundation in, in such, a, such a positive way. I commend you for doing this, Rick. Uh, you know, a lot of times when organizations do this, they there's a calculation that's made. Uh, let's be honest about it. Uh, maybe you're going to get some recognition or, or maybe generate some business from that recognition. But it's not like I can come walking through your door and buy anything from you. This isn't creating retail sales for you. So, So what's the why here for you? You know, you know the why is is simply that we're we're very beneficial, very a beneficiary of the Great Winnipeg community, and we have been for you know the seventy years that we've been operational, and and we we feel very positive about about the community, and we want to be able to give back to it during during a time when everyone's in need. Additionally, of, of course, HSC is a, a, a organization that's near and dear to every Winnipegger's hearts. We've all had family and friends that have have used their services at some point. So it's really a no-brainer for us to be able to partner up with them. So for any organizations or businesses, uh, big or small, who want to reach out to you, how do they do that? Yeah, we set up a, a just a quick website for, for distributing this product. It's, it's duha, D-U-H-A, covidrelief.com. So you can log on there quickly and, and just purchase hand sanitizer. We're we're doing deliveries around the city for a small fee, or you can pick it up right from our, our factory near the airport. Say that, just run that web that uh, web address past me again. I'm just trying sure, to... Yeah, it's duhacovidrelief.com. Duha, D-U-H-A, covidrelief.com. Okay. Before we let you go, Rick, I just have one last question because you've been around, you mentioned 70 years. This morning we had the C.D. Howe Institute talk about a recession uh, hitting Canada, the Bank of... Canada governor is going to talk later today. I'm just curious, you know, in your 70 years, your parents and grandparents have been through a lot. What's your advice for businesses going forward as we face so much uncertainty? Yeah, you know, I, I think right now for us, we're really relying on the strength of the team that we've built and, and you know, a, a strong comeback that we're going to see over the summer. Um, luckily, we're, we're a global company and, and we're seeing, we're seeing, we've seen waves of this happening. We, we saw China uh, with our factory shut down and in early January, and, and now we're starting to see the same thing happen with some of our other factories. But but the good news is our China operation is back up and running fully, and we are uh, looking forward to that happening for the rest of the rest of the world very soon. Rick Duha, director and owner of the Duha Group, joining us live on CJOB. Thank you very much, sir. Thanks a lot. And again, that website, duharelief.com. The reason why I asked him twice is because when I typed it in, it didn't take me to the site. I got an error message. But when I Googled Duha COVID relief, it's the first thing. And then that was able to get into the website there in case you encounter the same problem. Might just be the firewalls in our building. I don't know. And it's 24.5 degrees in this studio here. I'm oh. heating up. Ooh, Finally, really? I, what the heck? Yeah, I don't know. It was, it's been, it was like 19 degrees in the newsroom, 17 degrees yeah. in the control room this morning. It's uh, cold in here. And it was 20 degrees in the studio when I started. Now it's 24.5. So I don't know if it's just because <laughs> I'm full of hot air. Uh, <laughs> some would certainly make that argument. So I had to crack the door open and go out and warn Clay Young, the Clay man. Hey, Clay, don't uh, walk by and start doing your clayisms, you know, the hell. He's always running around saying, danger, danger, alert. 
Help me. Copy so. that. Copy that. <laughs> <laughs> it's Friday. We are excited. We're asking you your favorite sitcoms at 204-780-6868. And before we talk football with our next guest, Bob Irving, could we maybe ask you what your favorite sitcom is? My favorite sitcom? Hmm. Well, I heard you guys talking about all of the old ones this morning, and I, I, I would have to pick Cheers, I think. That's the one that... Uh, that I got the biggest kick out of and that I watched most regularly when I was on the air, and that was a long time ago now, but uh, who was in it? Woody Harrelson and all the rest of them, and uh, Cliff, the guy that sat at the end of the bar, and I just thought that was uh, that was one of the funniest ones that I can recall. Excellent choice, Bob. Now, of course, you're here to talk football when the Winnipeg Blue Bombers won the Grey Cup in November 2019 and subsequently celebrated with all the excitement 29 years of anticipation can create. The next event Blue Bomber fans had circled on their calendars was the first regular season home game, Greg. Yeah, sorry for that very, very long sentence, Brett. <laughs> June okay. 26th was to be the night that not only the 2019 Grey Cup champions banner was to be raised at IG Field, but 10 other banners to celebrate all 11 of the Blue Bombers Grey Cup championships. The fight against the spread of COVID-19 means that the banner raisings will need to be postponed. The Grey Cup game last November 24th was the 107th in Canadian in the Canadian sports history. Canadian football has endured through world wars, the Great Depression, economic recessions, and other financial crises over the years. Some of those, Loren, of the league's own making. Yeah, and earlier this week, the Prime Minister confirmed that he had received a request from CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi for financial help. The voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, which we've already heard, Bob Irving, great choice, by the way, with cheers. Uh, good morning to you. What do, we know about, what do we know about this ask from the league to the government? Uh, what's in it? Well, it's been in the works for a few weeks, I guess, uh, when it became clear that the CFL wouldn't be able to start its regular season on time, and like all other leagues, has no idea when or if it can even start playing in 2020. Uh, so Randy Ambrosi and the, the owners in the league put together a plan to approach the federal government about some help, uh, financial help, in times where you know they're not going to see any money coming in the door uh, for certainly months and, and maybe not at all this year. Uh, and they've simply said to the federal government, look, we don't know that uh, we can sustain a year without football and keep this thing alive unless we get some financial help. I don't know if that's maybe being a little overly dramatic or not, but uh, uh, the, the league is simply saying we're a, a company, a business that is in financial peril. If uh, if we have to keep our doors closed, and we'd like you to help out by giving us some cash. It's about as simple as that. So, Bob, some of the numbers have been thrown around, and I don't know if you've been able to confirm these or not, but uh, apparently the initial ask is for about $30 million to, to keep things going immediately, and if the season is cancelled, up to $150 million. And once again, that doesn't mean uh, you're going to get what you ask for. Right. But uh, one report, this is widely known, but it caught me off guard, is the idea that none of this money, at least the initial $30 million, is destined to go to the players, is any of the money on the table for players uh, under this circumstance? Well, I guess, Greg, it's a matter of how you look at it. The, the Bombers, for example, will have costs to keep their business open, as will all the teams in the Canadian Football League. Uh, and part of those costs are uh, player salaries, although the players will only get paid if games are played. Now, keep one thing in mind. The players... And I refer to a guy like Zach Kolaris, Willie Jefferson. They've signed new contracts, and they got uh, big money up front. A lot of the players that re-sign or sign as free agents get a lot of upfront money. I would guess the Bombers have paid out close to a million dollars in signing bonuses uh, for players who, you know, sign new contracts this year. So, yes, some of the money goes to the players. Uh, you know, the rest of it would simply be the cost of doing business. You have to keep your office open. You have staff that have to be paid. Uh, there's a scouting staff that has to be paid. Uh, you know, there are all sorts of costs that go into keeping a business afloat. There's corporate sponsorships that uh, they have collected some of the money from already, I would guess, that they'll have to give back. Uh, there'll be no TV money coming in. Season ticket holders, and my understanding with the Bombers is that the season ticket holders have been very understanding, and very few of them have asked for a refund at this point. But uh, as we go along here, and if there is no season, you're going to have 
all kinds of money that you're going to have to return to the season ticket holders, uh, you know, that is already in the bank. So, yeah, it's, uh, the players will get the money indirectly. The, the ones who haven't received it already in signing bonus uh, down the road are going to get their salaries when games resume. But in terms of straight-up money that goes to the players, they get paid when they play. That, I mean, that's the nature of every sport. The players get, play, get paid for games played. So in terms of the the league shutting down, like the, the commissioner is saying, look, the league could be in peril. Uh, is, he, is he blowing smoke? Is that the real deal? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I Look, I've covered the CFL for almost 50 years, and I've seen uh, many times when it's in, been in financial difficulty, uh, it would appear to have been on the verge of collapse. But nothing can kill this great old league of ours, as far as I'm concerned. And I don't think this can either. Now, I might be wrong. This is so unprecedented, as we all know. The league has never gone through as the rest of us, I think it would apply to as well, has never gone through anything quite like this. Could it kill the league? I suppose it could. Uh, You know, I think that's maybe a little bit dramatic. I think what you're doing, if you're Randy Ambrosi, is you're shooting high, uh, looking for $30 now, 150 down the road, and maybe settling for a little bit less. But I would say there's no question the Canadian Football League will have some problems, some real major problems, if they don't get some financial assistance Uh, could it kill the league no look i don't think anything can kill the canadian football league because lots of events and financial disasters have attempted to kill it and it just can't be killed it's uh, it's with us it's part of our national identity it's a canadian institution that touches the lives of many and there's no way you can kill it that's always been my view bob irving voice of the winnipeg blue bombers joining us live on 680 cjob bob thank you as always sir okay you guys Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, it was exactly one month ago that we shared with you an incredible idea generated by the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. It originally began as a way to honor the Grey Cup winning team as it entered its 90th season. It's called Heroes of Championship Way, and instead of just using the usual headshots of players, the Bombers turned to a company owned by Manitoban and former NFLer Israel Adonage. He helped turn the players into comic book superheroes, and the images, Loren, are super cool. Yeah, it's, it was already very cool to begin with, but then when COVID-19 hit, the Bombers flipped the script on the whole hero concept, and they asked Winnipeggers, Manitobans, to nominate the real heroes working to help keep us safe during this pandemic. Frontline workers, grocery store staff, pharmacists, basically our community superheroes. And today with the Blue Bombers, we're pleased to introduce you to the first winner of this Community Heroes campaign. He's a Winnipeg police officer who also happens to love the Blue Bombers. He was even at the Grey Cup last November. I uh, want to welcome on the show Justin Malik. Good morning and congratulations, Justin. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being with us. So it's such a nice initiative, a way to honor people who really are on the front lines. And we know, we believe it was your aunt who nominated you. So what did you think when you heard you had not only been nominated for this, but won? Uh, well, yeah, you're correct. It, it was my aunt. It was actually my, uh, my aunt uh, Colette out in Brandon. Uh, she contacted me about a couple weeks ago saying she wanted to enter me into a contest for the Blue Bombers. Um, and I would be turned into some, you know, comic book uh, sort of character, uh, you know, if I was selected. So um, kind of went along with it. Uh, it wasn't until the next day uh, I was contacted by the Blue Bombers creative content director, Rianne, and she informed me that I was, in fact, selected uh, for this. But it wasn't so much a contest as uh, a marketing campaign. So I initially had some uh, reservations about it. Uh, I certainly don't consider myself a hero or anything of that nature, um, but I did reluctantly agree to proceed with this. It was a very nice gesture, and it uh, it was very meaningful. So, well, tell us about your role with the Winnipeg Police Service and your police dog. Oh yes, so um, I've been with the police uh, service for about ten years, seven of which are as a police officer. Um, I'm currently on our tactical support team. Uh, so we deal with many high-risk calls going on in the city, as well as assisting our general patrol members and, you know, other various uh, specialty units. 
because uh, we do have um, some various uh, tools and uh, specialty equipment to assist with, uh, with those high-risk calls. Well, Justin, your modesty is really showing here. And uh, so a big shout out to your aunt for, for nominating you for this in the first place. So the prize in is, of course, the superhero campaign. We sort of touched on that. You mentioned the fact that this is what would happen if, if you were uh, one of the four people chosen for this. But you've decided to pass on this honor to someone very special and uh this is uh, emotionally overwhelming i think for a lot of people to hear this uh talk about what you're doing and why you're doing it yeah so uh shortly after i was contacted by rianne um a few days later the uh tragedy in nova scotia there unfolded uh as we all know 22 uh people were killed one of which was uh rcmp officer heidi stevenson there I think it's uh, worth mentioning, too, uh, Officer Chad Morrison was uh, shot and injured. Fortunately, uh, it sounds like uh, he's going to make a strong recovery. So, I mean, these officers um, that responded to this event, this tragedy, are truly heroes, in my opinion, and uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of Canadians' opinions uh, across the country here. So... It was, uh, you know, shortly after that, I contacted Rianne, highly recommended they remove me from the campaign and uh, honor Constable Heidi Stevenson in uh, some way, shape or form. Because uh, she's truly, uh, you know, a hero in every sense of the word. She absolutely is, Justin, and I know it's my understanding the RCMP have said they'd be happy to comply with your request. They're now just reaching out to the family to make sure that's okay. And in the meantime, the bombers have said, why can't they just honor both of you? And so that's some of the efforts they're going to make going forward. And you bring about the, the concept of the true hero and what Heidi Stevenson did in the line of fire, in the line of duty. There's already so much going on with COVID-19 and all the, and, and all the rest, and then you throw that into the Nova Scotia situation. What are some of the challenges you've seen on your job in recent weeks? Has has it been more difficult than usual to, to operate as, as you would have? Um, you know, in some respects, yes. I mean, there's, uh, over the course of uh, the last month here, there's been uh, implementation of protective equipment and, you know, various uh, sanitary products like, uh, like other um, industries in Winnipeg here. Um, of course, police resources have been redirected to, de- to deal with these foreseeable challenges here. Um, I-, I think on the front lines, there's been attempts to limit contact with the, with the public and the people we, we deal with. Um, but, I mean, our job is unique. I mean, it requires us to be in uh, close proximity to one another suspects witnesses and victims right it's um it's rather hard to um elicit uh, compliance um or cooperation um you know from a distance right uh, it, it's nice to have that uh, that human uh, interaction with people right that goes a long way so justin malik joining us live on 680 cjob the first Real-life superhero chosen by the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Justin is with the Winnipeg Police Service. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us, and thank you for doing what you do to help keep our community safe. Thank you very much. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, it is Friday, and we got word yesterday that one of the businesses planning to reopen... Our friends at Body Measure, a facility that tells you what's going on inside your body to help you with your weight management, fitness, and performance goals. Yeah, earlier this year, late last year, we got to try out their incredible technology. It was a super cool experience, if not eye-opening, but we'll talk about that later perhaps. But they, they, like many businesses, had to close and were frustrated by the lack of help they were getting from government, Loretta. I'm going to suggest, Greg, based on the fact that you mentioned your clothes are a little looser these days, you should head back for another scan. But we can get into that. Well, we're on air talking about it. I was going to say off air, but here I go. Uh, Melina Elliott and Erica Henderson are the co-founders of Body Measure. And we're pleased to welcome you guys back again this morning, especially with the news you're reopening, folks. So thanks for being with us. Thank you. 
Alina, you led a coalition of small businesses calling on the government for help. And, and that's our last chat we, we had with you about a month ago. Did that ever end up happening? Did, did more assistance come your way or, or an easing of the restrictions and some of the loans and measures you were looking for? Unfortunately not. We did have, um, well, the announcement of the rent subsidy, which hopefully that will all pan out. So that was one of the things that we were advocating for, but um, nothing with regards to the emergency small business loan. Erica, how much of a strain has being closed put on the business's finances? Uh, it, it's been stressful, that's for sure. We're, we're very happy that we're going to open this coming week. That was unexpected. We were thinking it would be at least another month. So um, as far as Winnipeg goes, we're, we're going to come back strong. We have all the confidence that, that we're going to get past it. Melina, we've been hearing from a variety of different business owners over the last 24 hours or so and the, and the arrangements that they need to make and the changes that need to be implemented in order to, to open under these uh, revised conditions and the situation that we find ourselves. What changes have you had to make or will you have to have in place by mon- Monday in, over to, in order to open on Monday? Mm-hmm. So luckily, we're very much a one-on-one based business. So typically, we don't see more than one client in the office at, at one time. So we're ahead of the game on that. But we have implemented um, measures that make sure that we adhere to all the provincial guidelines. So we're scheduling fewer appointments during the day. We're making sure that we have a block of time between clients. So there's no crossover there. And we have plenty of time to sanitize everything between clients. Um, and we're going to practice social distancing and have our clients sanitize um, their hands before they or as they enter the office. So it'll be a little bit different, but you'll still receive the same great quality um, care that you've always gotten with us. Uh, Melina, I think it was you that mentioned rent and May 1st is another check is due for rent for anyone who's uh, got a commercial business or even just renting an apartment. And I know that there's new programs in place for landlords. Do you have any sense that you're going to see some rent relief or get some help on that front, Melina? Um, I did contact our landlord and they basically said they don't know yet if they're going to participate in the program just because they don't know all the ins and outs of it yet, ins and outs of it yet and told us that our rent was due today. So um, I'm hopeful that our landlord will take advantage of the program and that we'll be able to get some relief there. Because even though we are reopening, we're still seeing, we'll only be able to book about half the amount of appointments that we usually book. So we're still seeing a major decline in our business. Erica, for the most part, I mean, you can be completely contactless with your customers. You've got the the, the body scanner where the, the customer lies on it, and then there's the yeah. 3D scanner where you where they go into the room alone and stand on the, the platform while the, the scanner goes around. But then there's that third test, the one that tests your resting metabolic rate, where you probably have to get in a little bit closer because we actually had to put a, a tube in our mouth and a little yeah. pincher over our nose. So what what do you do about that one? Well, that one actually won't be too bad because that that tube with the mouthpiece um, is quite extendable. I can pass it to the person and still stay, you know, fairly far away. The DEXA scan, uh, we're going to be wearing a mask and gloves because I do have to touch the client just to get them positioned properly. Um, But as far as contact goes, for the most part, we can stay, um, you know, quite far away from the client to minimize that risk. Well, that's that's good to hear. So, Erica, we've yeah. heard a variety of different experiences people are having right now uh, <laughs> yes. in isolation and, and these uh, revised mm-hmm. living conditions that we find ourselves in. And some people are finding it uh, difficult not to indulge in some of their favorite uh, treats. Uh, uh, I'm finding it the exact opposite. I have stopped... Uh, uh, consuming pop and I haven't had oh, uh, really yeah I haven't had a, a coke and going on uh, almost nine weeks now and and wow. part of that was the eye-opening experience I had with you we were talking about this earlier Brett asked the uh, the the question in our trivia contest for a wishing it I was fishing contest the idea yes. that eight percent of people step on a scale every morning and we were saying hey it's not about that number we learned that from you and so yes. maybe just re-emphasize that idea that that the weight number isn't the most important thing because I learned a ton about my body by by coming to visit you. Yes, absolutely. And the weight really means nothing. So in fact, your weight could be going down, but your body fat could be going up and your muscle mass could be going down. 
So when you come see us and we do the DEXA scan, as you know, because you had it done, we see exactly how much muscle you have, how much body fat you have, and how much internal fat you have wrapping around your organs, which is that dangerous fat. And the scale really doesn't tell the whole truth because muscle weighs four, is four times as dense as fat. So, um, for instance, you could have a very sedentary three months of this isolation and lose weight on the scale, but then if we did a DEXA scan, we would see that you actually um, lost muscle and gained fat, possibly. So it, it, the, the scale does not really tell the whole story at all. So then when we look ahead to, you know, getting back to whatever our new normal is, and that might include more weight, less weight, depends on all sorts of things. I had mentioned yesterday when we had a chiropractor on, Molina, that, you know, I've got different back issues going on and different stresses have weighed on me differently over the past uh, few months. And our bodies might have gone through some wholesale changes that, that we're perhaps not aware of, which is why a scan might really dig deep beyond the numbers and what I might see in the mirror to show me different things when it comes to bone density or posture or other. Absolutely. So the great thing about a DEXA scan is that it actually does show you what's going on inside your body, gives you that blueprint for where you need to focus your efforts. And oftentimes the information that we get can be really encouraging and show you maybe you've got fantastic bone density and you're not going to have to worry about osteoporosis or maybe you've got lean muscle and so now you need to focus on strength training and cut back on the cardio so by coming to see us we eliminate all of the nonsense and we eliminate all the things that maybe you need to do and drill it down to what you actually need to do to get to your ideal healthy which looks different on each of us you're opening on tuesday melina Yes, we are. Tuesday, 8 a.m. <laughs> Bodymeasure.ca is the website for more information. Melina and Erica, thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's great to talk to you again. Thank, thank you. you for having us. All right. It is bodymeasure.ca, once again, is the website. Jeff Forte, I'll get you to put them on hold. When there's two callers, I always tend to screw it up, and we've had some technical issues this morning, so I don't want to jinx anything. But, yeah, Erica Henderson and Melina Elliott, co-founders of Body Measure. It really was a really cool experience and as greg pointed out we learned a lot about ourselves some good some bad um i know you uh greg i know you were unhappy when we did that yeah i was super i was very uh upset about some of the things that i learned but it's inspired me to to change some things and uh hopefully get an opportunity to uh bear fruit and uh double check and make sure that I've been doing the right things over the last few months. And McNabb, you've been running and doing and rollerblading and stuff. I'm so I'm I'm proud of you guys, Greg. You haven't had any pop. McNabb's out there exercising, and uh, I've been mostly just falling asleep on my couch. So Brett, gym class. It turns out it is the best class of the day. So when you're uh, teaching at home, you look forward to a little gym activity way more than I ever remember doing when I was 12 years old. But hey, here I am. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for all your text messages at 204-780-6868. And in case you ever send us a text and we don't reply, doesn't mean we haven't seen it. Just, you know, can be busy in here. So we don't often have time to reply to everything. Hey, some people remember SCTV, the sketch comedy show with great affection. Six seasons and 135 episodes of pure comedy gold. Tired of ordinary television? Don't touch that dial. SCTV is now on the air. Starring John Candy. Filmed in Edmonton for years and years, in fact. The names, faces, the characters which came to us through that show are legendary names in comedy, television, and movies. SCTV's cast included over the years, you heard John Candy, they're being said behind me here, Robin Duke, Joe Flaherty, Harold Ramis, Martin Short, Andrea Martin, Dave Thomas, Rick Moranis, Eugene Levy, and Catherine O'Hara. And of course, Levy and O'Hara have had their star reascend as Schitt's Creek has enjoyed tremendous popularity in Canada and the United States. So many brilliant performers, Loren. Man, when you read that list, it's hard to believe it all came out of the same spot. And and you might not even realize that or realize is that Second City is a comedy troupe and performance group with a long and rich history. 
It all started in 1959 in America's second city, known as Chicago. Our next guest was actually born and raised here in Winnipeg and now teaches a comedy writing class for Second City. Andrew Malarbra joins us now. And good morning, Andrew. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you. Well, it's nice to uh, end our show this week on a lighter note because comedy can provide so much in darker times. And so before we get into what you're doing, could you give us a bit more of a history of Second City and then its movement into Canada, Andrew? Yeah, well, as you said, it started out in Chicago uh, nearly almost 60 years ago. And um, I moved up to Toronto uh, several years back, and uh, that's where SCTV obviously originated afterwards and stuff. And so it started out as an improv-based sketch comedy. But throughout the years, it's, it's now become this this new thing where it's a, it's turned into a training center for the for the entertainment industry in all different angles. So you have various programs like the writing programs, stand-up programs, acting, directing, producing, music, professional development programs, and even uh, kids and teen camps. So they're they're really kind of making a mark in all angles of the industry right now. Do most people still associate Second City with the TV show? Uh, yeah, and also I, I have to admit that the stage shows um, are quite famous in Toronto, especially. It's always getting rave reviews there. Um, also in Chicago, it's extremely popular because all of the American people that went through it that we often know through uh, Saturday Night Live and stuff like that. So it's always been really, really popular down there. And, and right now they also have one in LA as well. So I don't know if it, guys, is it just me that's having a hard time hearing Andrew, or is it just my connection? No, his phone is uh, it, it is kind of digitizing here and there, so we just got a, a bit of a bad connection uh, with Andrew. But Greg, go ahead. Yeah, we'll soldier on. I just wanted to know if there was uh, something uh, you could do, maybe just hold your hand up above your head or something. Andrew, <laughs> I find that that helps sometimes. How, how's this? Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Absolutely. So one of the tabs on your website is improve your business. I find it interesting that improv and improve are only one letter off from one another. How do you help me run a better business through Second City? It's basically all about, when it comes down to improv, it's listening to everybody around you. So it's it's an actual training and practice to be able to do it. So what they do, they do it with fun games and listening games and improv games and understanding how you can actually uh, listen to other people to better your business. So with that effort to better the business, you're now trying to offer all sorts of classes online, Andrew, including a writing class of your own. Give us some of the options if I wanted to sign up and join in. A lot of people think about the improv behind comedy, yeah. but they might not realize the work that goes into writing sketches and just uh, different bits and, and the thing, the work that goes into that. For sure, for sure. Yeah. So first off, I just want to say when, when all this kind of changed over the past couple of months, Second City did an amazing job and they were able to put all of these classes online, even improv classes, and they've been getting really good feedback on them. So uh, it, it seems like it's it's a, it's a go-ahead on these as well. So, But for me, myself, I'm actually um, teaching more the screenwriting side of it. So there's a screenwriting kind of area within there. So I teach original spec scripts for television. So what I do is it's a, it's a seven-week program. So you come in basically with nothing. It's concept to creation, seven weeks. I help you develop the script, and everybody else in the room helps you develop the script. And by the end, you come out, and you should have a fully fleshed-out first draft of a television script that you've wanted to write. So it, it's really impressive because we have beginners that come in the class. We also have seasoned pros that come in the class that are working on television shows right now, but they just want the deadlines, the feedback, and stuff like that. So it's a great mix. The improv classes, I'm just thinking here because I'm a, I'm a terrible conversationalist. Uh, I've never, partly because I just don't, I've never had the patience for small talk, but I also have just, I'm just bad at it. But then when you add in the last 15 or 20 years or so of communication over, I guess 15 years over cell phone, where you can, where most of our communication or much of it is on text, where you actually have time to think about it. Uh, when it actually comes time to just communicate to someone face to face, you don't have that time. Sometimes I just get fully stymied. So improv, uh, I not can't or won't just help you in business. I think it could just help you as a, a full blown life skill with com- helping to learn to communicate better. Honestly, coming from my own personal experience, when when I left Winnipeg and came to Toronto, I actually started at Second City, and so they have the level A through E improv program, and it does teach you. Th- those core 
lessons that you need in order to be able to uh, feel open and, and be willing to kind of open up with other people. And then from there, you can continue on in the ranks. So it really does help people kind of expand on who they are. And um, yeah, for me, basically, I was there for about four years throughout the entire program. And then I did switch over to writing after that, but it, it completely changed my life. And, and it seems like everybody that goes to the program, everybody loves it. So, Andrew, I can only think of uh, one other profession where you go, come home one day after school and, and you tell your parents you're going to be a comedian or a musician. And, <laughs> and, and their heads are going to, to just drop. And, and you're like, are you sure about this? Uh, but it, I think I want to expand and maybe have you expand just on this whole notion that, that Brett was picking up on and that, that these skills are interchangeable. Uh, music skills are, are such a wonderful skill to develop certain parts of your brain and your personality as are the comedy skills and the ability to write and to convey your, your thoughts in different ways in a unique fashion. Exactly. And, and, and truthfully, I'm, and I'm just taking it from my class alone. I see a lot of people that come in and are nervous to open up and are nervous to be creative. And, and for me growing up, when I was growing up in Winnipeg, it was a little harder for me to understand that you could do this in a profession like this because it wasn't always around us in Winnipeg back then. So, I was fortunate enough that I was able to take the so easy for everybody to take that little step and that little step. Once you do it, it, it changes everything. It just really gives you the, the confidence to go with your ideas, to, regardless of which way, if it's on stage, if it is music, all that. And, and, and just to keep on pushing and drive and get better. And so it How's- just, it seems to really help in all angles of second city. Well, the confidence would be huge. And, and I just knowing how good it feels to laugh and just having that natural, you know, belly laugh that you can't control. I'm wondering how it feels to be the person that makes people laugh when you finally have found a way, you know, when you're honing your craft, because it is a craft and it's an art to doing yeah. it. And when the joke lands or when the sketch lands, what's that feel like? Basically, the first time I ever noticed it, it's funny because I'd written sketch for it was on the main stage. It wasn't the main stage show at Second City. But I was more interested in looking at the audience reaction to the sketch that I had written and if they were, they were laughing at where I wanted them to laugh and stuff. Uh, it, was, it was hands down the one moment that I knew I wanted to do this forever. I'll never forget that moment. Uh, I, don't get me wrong, the, the actors that were performing on stage were great, but the feeling for me was almost euphoric. And it was like a light bulb went off. What about when the jokes so. don't land? Oh, that's that's a lot of time as well, and you feel great. You get used to <laughs> you get you get used to it, and you just realize that it can only make you better. And I, I think that's what helps with it. It's it's just you have to accept that it's not always going to be perfect, but it's it's just pushing past that and finding those areas that you know will hit every time. It's a constant battle. I'm not going to lie on that, but at the same time, it's it's basically what we strive for. I love watching, uh, I watched a, a couple of episodes of Comedians uh, in Cars and Getting Coffee with Jerry yeah, yeah. Seinfeld yesterday, and you just realize how hard these individuals have worked over the years, not only in terms of the time on stage, but constantly writing and rewriting their material and getting in touch with themselves. Uh, Gary Shandling uh, was always, always so hard on him, himself and his material. Uh, Judd, Judd Apatow did a, did a fantastic retrospective on Gary Shandling. It's on HBO right now. Just this whole notion of how hard it is and how uh, much work it is to be funny is really been hammered home uh, in this age of, of there's stand-up comedians coming out of the word work every week, it feels. Yeah. And, and to be honest with you, comedy is very subjective as well. But um, from the comedians that I know that have taken my course for script writing, because a lot of them want to get into television and work in the writing rooms there. And I've seen numerous of them go that route, but the amount, the, the work ethic that they have, in order to tighten up scripts, tighten up jokes. Um, it, it just, it, it's, they just can't stop. It's, it's just constant. They want to be better and better and better all the time. And it's just, it's, it's, it's very impressive to see. And, and they, they will never stop. And everybody in this community, and I have to admit it, like and when I talk about sketch and improv and stuff like that, and it is actually a very small community, even though it's so much bigger now than it was 10 years ago, um, 
they just, everybody's so invested in it. And it's not about trying to make it famous or anything like that. It's just the love of the craft. Andrew Malarbra, born and raised in Winnipeg, teaches a comedy writing class for the Second City in Toronto. The website is secondcity.com, where you can learn how to improve your business. You can take a whole bunch of online classes. There are online shows. Uh, there's camps for kids, all kinds of stuff. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. This has been fun, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Have a great day, okay? Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.